Welcome to Public Cloud for Public Good, a podcast talking about cloud sustainability and how we can use public cloud services to make the world a better place. Thank you so much, Michael. We met through Polywork. So you reached out, I was sort of looking for a call that people speak to, and I was really interested in sort of your interest in serverless, basically the future of, of technology and coding, and how you've kind of set up your businesses to be a little bit more carbon neutral. So, you know, thank you so much for reaching out and uh, introduce yourself and the companies you've started and let's go from there. Yeah, totally. So I was very interested in, in your podcast because I really have been passionate about putting sustainability front and center as part of, of business decisions. So I started Andromeda Galactic Solutions in 2015. We are a software development agency. We focus on building applications and digital products for our customers. We have built a number of our own applications, one of which is a parking application. It's, a, it's for parking management, including helping drivers pay for parking at the parking lot when they when they pull in. And it is called FlexiPark. And we spun that off five years ago into its own company. So FlexiPark now runs autonomously. <laughs> so yeah, was that almost like it was was it was it like something that a customer requested and you built and said, oh, we could turn this into a SaaS product? Or was that more like oh not a SaaS, but that's a customer like well, it is a little bit SaaS, isn't it? Well, so so the, the story behind FlexiPark is is an interesting one. It actually came from my father-in-law, who Really early on, I think 2015 is when he first brought this idea up. He was working as a photographer and going to a show. He had his the back of his car full of like photography gear and lights and everything. It's raining a little bit. And he drove by a number of parking lots that were completely empty, but posted, you know, no parking, whatever. And he's like, this is stupid. We've got to be able to, to take advantage of these empty parking lots and do something with them. Like it's in the middle of town. This is ridiculous. And so that started a, a fairly lengthy journey into understanding everything that goes on in converting those parking lots into shared parking. Okay. Where the main business can operate it. And then we can operate it after their business hours to help them make a profit, but also help better utilize that space. Because there are different places in America, they, do they have different rules? Like it's, or it's oh, allocated to be one use only. And like, you know, you've got to solve that first before you can even offer a service. Yeah. So parking in America is really weird. And a lot of the legislation around parking is specific to the municipality. So small towns, big cities have very different rules. We have historically over the last, I don't know, 40 or 50 years, seen a big push away from multi-use spaces in general. So, you know, once upon a time, it was a big thing. You could have your, your shop downstairs, live upstairs. A lot of big cities were built like that. Uh, that all went away for, for many, many years. We're finally getting back into that. The last four or five years, we're seeing mixed-use spaces being reintroduced. But one of the things that also has happened, America has very much a car-first mentality to infrastructure. And it it's pretty obvious when you think about it in terms of roads and how you move around, but it's also very, very true in legislation around parking lots. And this is why, especially in, in suburban areas in America, you see these massive parking lots that are absolutely never full around a, a big box store of some kind. And in our cities, because of the space isn't so much there, it's a little bit more restricted, but there's still a lot of times there's there's a lot more parking that has to be built than is actually needed 
in yeah, some places. Even if everyone but, turned up on a Sunday. Yeah. Totally. But then in, there's other places where they never really built the parking infrastructure. So you have some places where there's too much parking, others there's not enough parking. And the interesting thing is that there are even rules in a lot of municipalities in order to build a new construction or a new building or expand something, you have to have a certain number of parking spaces associated with that new construction. And there's just all these policy things you've got to figure out related to this. And it turns out that shared parking solutions can be used to meet multiple different requirements for parking availability. And when you have an existing parking lot, now I can make that available, not just for the one business that had to have it, but for everything else in the neighborhood. So it's crazy, isn't it? How yeah, like, legislation's got to this point oh. of regulation or whatever you want to call it. And they've said, <laughs> okay, everyone has to make sure they all at least have enough parking slots for this reason, but everyone individually and no shared yep. stuff. And even you're putting rules in place to say you can't share it as well. And it's like, I do look at like legislation and we know that the car lobby or the gas or the oil lobby has clearly had a massive influence in politics over the last decade. How many decades? It's been tremendous. Oh, wow. And you just, you know, you think about, you see roads and big highways, and that's obviously a big visible element, but this is not as visible and it is more, it it seeps to every level of politics. It's crazy. It isn't. And what's often overlooked, and this is again, something I learned in putting this together is the impact that legislation around parking has on traffic congestion it's it's all it's all interconnected it's amazing <laughs> i mean to be honest it, 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 i think like roads are almost like one of those things you build more of them the, the kind of capacity gets larger and then you get more traffic it's like it's, you can never <laughs> sort of build your way out of of, of this Correct. i mean it's, it's other stuff that needs to be i feel like you know for your app it's almost like the stopgap between a world where we don't need all of this parking that's stupid why you're doing this too actually we're going to change the way we think about cities and have more mixed-use spaces. No, absolutely. And, you know, urbanism. I mean, suburban houses and suburban... I mean, I, I occasionally see stuff online where someone goes, wow, you know, my mum had to drive to town to go for a walk because, you know, the house that you live on connects to a highway, connects to the town. We're the only place you can walk. I mean, you can't even walk from your own house anywhere. I just find that element of America a bit weird. Um, <laughs> it's but, really yeah. weird. I can't walk basically anywhere. <laughs> And thinking about then your businesses and sort of what you've looked at in terms of, you know, considering sustainability, I mean, even the concept of the Flexi Park in itself is doing good, but how else have you sort of considered that throughout your career and businesses? There's a number of things that that we've considered over the last few years in, in terms of how to do this. The first one is to go remote only. Uh, that That eliminates our, our need to commute anywhere. It eliminates the need for office space. It's 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 a, a cost savings, but that's also electric, extra electricity that I'm not consuming. It's, it's lots of different elements to that, that space that I don't need. And I find that it, it really helps with not only finding good employees, but also has been very helpful in terms of kind of making sure that I can provide the very best experience for, for my employees as well. The other thing that we we look at is because we're a technology company, how are we doing with that technology? So so considering the the carbon impact, the the sustainability impact of the different technologies we use, one of the things that we have focused on a lot is serverless technology. So we're only using things when we need them, and then not using them when we don't. And that's kind of it's kind of like that shared economy for for servers, the same way we're doing the shared economy for parking 
And we see sharing economies for lots of different things. And I think that that, that focus is important. We also looked at different cloud platforms, which, which one was going to meet the needs, be the easiest to work with, but also was going to do a good job for us in the carbon footprint space. We ended up going to uh, GCP. GCP so Google, or Google, Google Cloud. Yeah, yeah believe nice. it or not. <laughs> well, and, and so Google has had a, a tremendous investment in sustainable energy and carbon initiatives. They have a carbon footprint calculator built into the cloud portal so I can log in and very see good what one. we're doing. Yes. We're, we're very, we're <laughs> very near zero as a company, which is fantastic. It is great, isn't it? Like, I think like Google leads the way when it comes to this carbon reporting, especially inside the console. I mean, the one thing I would say is you may be interested to sort of watch that figure because it may grow, not because you've made changes, but kind of what they count as part of their emissions. So totally. at the moment, they have a lot of their scope one, scope two, but there's some choices they've made around scope free emissions and scope free is stuff in their supply chain. So an interesting <laughs> fact about Google is obviously they have a lot of money lying around and they invest in things and they own other companies. Um, and you know that's the sort of thing where they don't particularly consider reporting carbon emissions through that route. They might report it elsewhere or you know, I think it, it is fascinating because how long is a piece of string? It's like, you know, you dig into right. carbon and you could almost go as far as you could go, really, or choose to oh, go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm interested. So obviously you almost assessed, do you assess all of the cloud providers? AWS is your GCP. I do, I do keep, keep tabs on them. At this point, I, I do monitor what, where we are with Google. I keep track of what they're working on in terms of initiatives. And I, I've been pretty happy with that decision, but I definitely keep tabs of that. So just for example, I'm a Google developer expert because I spent a lot of time in Google. Um, Andromeda is a Google cloud partner, but I'm also a Microsoft MVP. So I pay attention to all the different things and try to uh, you know, always be looking at, at not just assume that the decision that I made at one point in time is going to always be the best decision. So I'm curious, when you came to make that first decision, what was it that swung in, in your favor? Because when, when would this decision been made? How long ago were we looking? So at? we started building out a lot of our things in 2015. Okay, so seven years ago, really. Yes, yeah, it's, when it's you been a while. This decision. Yeah. And at that point in time, Google Cloud was not nearly as popular even as it is today. Uh, it's always kind of lagged behind, especially AWS. And at that point in time, I had a lot more experience with AWS. And the thing that swayed us over at that point was actually Firebase. It was being able to have a really ready, easy to work with platform on GCP that would provide a database for us in a serverless way, provide the cloud functions. And we jumped straight into serverless at that point. That's really interesting. Yeah. So it was really, I mean, it's product fit. I mean, it, I guess it almost like it's, it's like you bet the right horse seven years ago and Google's got ahead of the game in some yeah, ways. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it, it was, it's one of those things that we made a lot of decisions kind of Knowing where we wanted the market to go, where we wanted the industry to go, not really knowing that it was going to happen. Like I had never heard, really heard the word serverless when we started going that route. PWAs, progressive web applications, were not quite a thing yet, but we still, we went down that road and, and the technology has just been there every step of the way. Just as we've needed something, it's been there. Yeah, uh, We just, good. we happened to <laughs> kind of ride, I feel like I'm surfing and we just managed to ride the, the wave at exactly the right time. It's interesting, isn't it, Sarah? Because I, I, in some ways, okay, you started seven years ago. 
I'm, I mean, for me, I'm starting my company, what, a year ago? I've not actually been looking at building a lot of internal applications and, and, and sort of workflows or anything like that yet. Because, I'm, I mean, I'm focused on consultancy mostly at the moment. But, of course, you know, a lot of people kind of may underestimate how not lucky we are if you start a business today. But, you know, you can jump in at the head of how you should oh, yeah. be doing things. Use serverless, like event-driven architecture, you know, loosely coupled microservices. Like, you know, you can start to build this out with all of these great, amazing things without having to lag migrations over and, and, and sort of, you know, do this a different way. Like you can be remote, you can work with Slack, you can all use Teams. Like it is almost this amazing opportunity, I think, for, for new, new companies at the moment. Oh, I, I totally agree. And just looking at the app applications we built last year versus the ones we built five and six years ago, the architectural, knowing ahead of time what, what decisions to make, amazing how much easier it was to build those, how much faster we were able to get them up and running, how much more like easier they are to modify and work with and grow with. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you've just got to, I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, your team carries on and sticks with you and you all learn together. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing I think is an issue in tech at the moment is like, no matter the size of the company, teams are generally staffed with people who are six, 12, 18 months there and then gone. And it's like this rotation and everyone's sort of like coming in and out. Uh, but yeah, I'd be interested to see how my business goes as it grows. But <laughs> yeah, we can only hope it'll be good. So serverless then, I mean, you've mentioned using serverless and all these individual parts of GCP and, and why you attracted there. What is it that you do specifically when you're considering, you know, how to use serverless? What's been the best sort of most amazing thing you've delivered? Yeah, what has been the best thing sure. you've, you've been able to deliver because you've done things this way and you're serverless? Uh, well, one of the, the things is just the sheer number of applications my small team has been able to build. So we, we have about eight employees. We have we kind of shrink and grow as we as we take on projects based upon having contractors, but at we're anywhere between like twelve and twenty uh, through through our contract team as the the year goes on, and we're still we're able to build close to a dozen applications a year with a really really small team because it's super efficient. We know what's going on. It, we're we're able to reuse a lot of things because it turns out a lot of applications have. There's so much similarity between applications. <laughs> so because serverless architecture, when, when well-designed, is, is incredibly modular. So it's pretty simple. Once you've written a function that does a thing, has a well-defined task with well-defined inputs and outputs, I can copy that function to any other project and it'll kind of just work. And If not, right, just a little bit of tweaking as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly quick and easy to do that. We've really invested in one specific technology stack so that we're not spending all that time. Well, we're going to do this one in React. We're going to do this one in Vue. We're going to do this one in Angular. We've got Node. We've got C Sharp. No, we just pick one stack. We specialize yeah. in that one technology that helps us improve. And, and serverless has really made it a lot faster. There's, it reduces the amount of time and energy we have to spend spinning up infrastructure, managing and overseeing infrastructure. There's tremendously reduced DevOps time. Yeah. For all these apps that you're building then, are you responsible for the end-to-end, -end, like the, the rest of the lifetime, or are you handing them over after they're done? So the the serverless apps that we build, yeah, we're, we're responsible for the, the whole thing. So we will provide support services indefinitely. And so we, we've had some customers, once it's built and it's run for a while, they'll take over management of it. Usually we stay in control of it. We do have other customers that 
they have their own backends. They don't, they don't want to do uh, our Google Cloud serverless thing. That's fine. They have their own .NET APIs or whatever. So we'll build apps on top of that infrastructure. But all the stuff that we do ends up being Firebase serverless backend. Yeah. I mean, what, what are the elements that are like kind of the best DevOps elements then in terms of like allow you to keep a track and keep on top of all of these different applications? What are the innovations and in the, in the ways that we've kind of done that? <laughs> so so we, we utilize a lot of, re- we use some re- reporting tools. Uh, one of the tools that we use is, is Track.js, which is a really great tool for managing both. They, they have tracking, JavaScript-based tracking for both the client application and for the cloud functions through their node integration. And so in one dashboard, I get a list of all the errors that have occurred, what traffic's going on. When an error occurs, I can see the full stack trace behind it. If it happened in the browser, I can see the entire click trail. So what did the user click on? What page loaded? What HTML was rendered in the browser at the time this thing happened? And that's really been really fantastic for not only tracking what's going on, but being able to handle and address and fix issues. Any errors then get sent directly to our, we have a Slack channel with all of the notifications. So as errors come through, the team is able to monitor those and see what's going on. Um, we also utilize some of the reporting functionality within Google Cloud for the infrastructure. But those are just kind of some of the things we do. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like, you know, that ability, like a user doesn't even need to report an error happened or go and contact you or pick up a phone. Yep. You know, you're literally just tracking that and observing it. Like that's it, isn't it? Observability is almost like the biggest element of being able to respond to cloud. And, and no, absolutely. Uh, we, we, we've started having some conversations. There's, there's one of the downsides of being so early into the game is that there's been a lot of the more sophisticated monitoring tooling that just is there for serverless yet. If you are in a big industrial serverless rollout where you're dealing with Docker and Kubernetes and, and really spinning up your own serverless infrastructure on top of an existing cloud provider, there are some observability tools you can bake in at, say, the, the container or the Kubernetes level that we don't have access to by going kind of what I would call more pure serverless. But we're starting to see tooling showing up for those use cases. So I've, I've started looking at, at some different products to help us get better understanding, not just of when errors occur, but how long are these individual functions taking to do things so that I can make good decisions based on that? Because that will really help us understand how better to break down the product when we're having performance issues that might kind of get overlooked and really have a better understanding of what is our utilization of these different things. Right now, ironically, a lot of the insight I get into how much CPU time we're chewing up essentially is by going to the billing console, right? <laughs> and see how many how long the invocations take. And 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 I don't I don't care which cloud platform you're on. I don't care if it's Google, AWS, Azure. It can be really hard to find good information that gives you a clear picture of everything that's going on, but they never miss on that billing console. They capture everything. <laughs> yeah. It this is one of the things I've talked about, like the billing console and, and other elements of why I love it and why I hate it in, in, in other episodes. <laughs> but that's one of the main reasons is, you know, all these cloud providers are not going to back down from tracking your every invocation, your every single you action down to the millisecond if they're going to charge you for it. But when it comes to other reporting, when it comes to, you know, paying for security service on top of like, you know, monitoring and security costing on top of what you're trying to do. And then yeah. the carbon reporting from Amazon in particular has been so woeful. It's like, 
you're the same team that can like basically tell me down to the millisecond how many laughter functions are right. Wrong, but like, you know, my carbon zero because you had anything below a couple tons, you just don't care about. It's like, what? Right. <laughs> well, and, and what, one of the things I always wonder about, especially with serverless, but any cloud offering, but especially serverless where you're really dealing in kind of micro transaction level mm. of tracking, what percentage of the carbon use of the cloud providers are spent tracking billing compared to yeah it's almost e could it be equal even if, if like you know yeah. you've got a, a micro millisecond rust you know lambda function that could be less data than the time than the actual carbon yeah i do wonder absolutely good because you know we when we look at serverless if we're saying i've asked you for the milliseconds and the seconds and how many invocations then at the end of the day we know all of those servers ready to run serverless are there behind it what if there's gaps? Like, who's tracking the gaps between? Okay, well, we had capacity for billions, but you know, we had, we were a bit under for a bit. So, like, is that just never accounted to anyone? <laughs> I, I, serverless is interesting because, like, you know, I really love it, and and I want more people to start using it. And to be honest, I need to dust off some code and skills and and start thinking about how I should use it more. But I think it's like you're splitting hairs at this point. Like, you know, you're getting down to like you know 132 milliseconds. Oh, let's cut that down and. I think in some ways, it's not a bad thing to do because I think a lot of the issues you're going to have with serverless technology when it hangs or like, you know, cold starts when you're trying to get stuff running or or like, you know, the, the invocations, I don't know, becoming, what do you call it, like um, circular or just like, you know, running. I know what I mean. But um, yeah, I mean, still keeping on top Cyclical of this. Cyclical dependencies or? Yeah, like, you know, yeah, cyclical or circular, like, you know, if, if stuff starts running. Keep an eye on the bill, like you said, and keep an eye on sustainability is probably just going to help you out with all of these issues anyway. Yeah, so yeah, it's like absolutely. still work to do. <laughs> and I, I feel like that we're seeing so much investment from the cloud providers on optimization, but especially optimization in the serverless space that it, it, it's kind of like the electric car problem, right? Is an electric car truly more sustainable when you purchased it today, especially if you purchased it 10 years ago? Absolutely not. But what it's doing is helping push the whole industry of sustainability forward. Because if ultimately an increasing percentage of software is running on serverless platforms, we're enabling the cloud providers to better optimize their use of, of electricity, their use of hardware resources. I mean, because it all it is at the end of the day is virtualization down to the micro millisecond level. Correct. And like, you know, that's always going to be better than splitting one CPU into eight instances or <laughs> doing whatever else you want to do at that level. And I think you're right in that cloud as a whole is probably the electric car. Serverless is like, I don't know, the electric scooter as well. Um, <laughs> right. But I do wonder, like for me, Google do a lot more to consider the product and the user journey for making decisions when it comes to being more optimized or, or making better decisions. But then like you look at other areas of the cloud, we're like, you know, well, you know, I'm still giving you the option of EC2 versus containers versus serverless. It's like, I'd right. love it, for example, if they did more where it's like, okay, no, this is the wrong choice because of sustainability or there's yeah, like yeah. an account, which is the best way of doing things for, for people who are getting started because you don't want to trip up with, you know, just cheap it out and, and, and spinning up an EC2 to do something when you could just basically be, you know, serverless forever. Um, yeah. I do wonder what more they could do from that direction. <laughs> oh, definitely. Kind of coaching you on, on good and bad choices for your yeah. use case. Because the simplest way Google do it is just those little green leaves um, that you see inside the console. You know, they'll be next to choices which are more sustainable. Like, which makes sense. It can be that small or, or, or even bigger.
Well, it's it's a nice it's a nice coaching thing, and on on the same same similar topic, this whole concept, and I see this at, at conferences a lot. I, I go to a lot of conferences. I speak at conferences, and I'm always shocked at the number of people, especially startups, seem to be the worst at this. They look at what what Netflix is doing, what Amazon is doing, what you know. They look at big company and say, "We have to do everything Facebook is doing," and I'm like. That's probably not the right decision at your current size and scale. Like, make decisions that are good for where you are today, maybe where you want to be tomorrow, but don't don't plan that far out in advance. Because now, talk about a sustainability nightmare. You've you've overdeveloped your infrastructure to the point that you are consuming resources for a company ten times your size or worse. That's not necessary. Or worse. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> I am. Uh, it's interesting because I mean that doesn't even just apply to making IT decisions. Because like a lot of people go into business and go, I want to be the next Microsoft or I want to be the next big company. And it's like, you know, Amazon started as a bookstore, as a as an online book retailer, and then expanded into sort of offering servers on the side. Like none of this was sort of the thing where they were a startup and they got this big. You're kind of gonna get there potentially, but you do see that mistake, especially when it comes to just product strategy and other areas where it's like chasing the wrong thing. And I think that's an interesting one is like, you know, the customers of Amazon today were, you know, potentially like customers for like, so what we're trying to say is like, if you think about the customer journey of people who have been using Amazon for a decade or 10 years, a bit longer, like cloud came out, what, 2008? The people who started using Amazon were the ones who were like, okay, this is like the big players in this area, Dell and all these data centers are not what I need. So I'm going to bet on the small guy. Like they didn't choose to bet on someone who looked like the big guy. It's like your ideas now, which look very different or do things differently, are going to be the next thing in tech because that's how we all are. We, we don't mimic the p- big players of today because that's not tomorrow's technology and that's not tomorrow's no, not. future. <laughs> not at all. We'll get back to our interview soon, but I really want to highlight that it's not all doom and gloom in the world. So now is the part of the show where we shine a spotlight on companies, charities, and organizations that are contributing to making the world a better place. Supporting ethical businesses and charities that are doing good in the world is the easy way for all of us to also contribute when we're able to. This week's organization spotlight is Open UK. I previously interviewed Amanda Brock, who's the CEO of Open UK, but this time I really want to highlight the organization and the events that they run. So Open UK's purpose is to develop UK leadership through global collaboration in open technology. They're trying to really push the envelope around the understanding of open source through education, through running events, to interacting with politicians and leaders, and they need more people to get involved. So from my perspective, I review Open source as probably the best way of being more sustainable in the future, moving away from proprietary services, looking at open standards for hardware and software, and how we can basically reduce the amount of reuse, uh, make sure that anything that we are using is is sort of open and and visible and transparent, and we know it's going towards the public good. And I think open source is going to be a big part of that. Next month on the 16th of November 2022, they're holding an event in Edinburgh focused on sustainability. And if you are looking to attend that day, then make sure you do register on their website. Make sure you let me know if you're going to attend and get in touch. But if you are going to attend the event, I'm also organizing a data center tour on the 17th of November. 
um, where I'll be inviting people to come and look at a um, sustainable data center in Scotland, uh, which is actually really close to Edinburgh, so not too far away. And yeah, if, if you are interested in attending either event or joining me on that data center tour, then make sure you do get in touch and hopefully I'll see you there. So yeah, you're a, you're a Google uh, developer expert, GDE, uh, I yep. guess, uh, and, a, and a Microsoft uh, MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and how have you found like that? Like you know, doing that is it is it sort of been like you know, load of communities? Like what have you got out of them? And you know, has it been useful? Yeah, the the Google program in particular has been really fantastic in getting me access directly to people at Google that are working on the technologies that I'm I'm working with. So being able to interact with the Firebase team, learn what's going on has been just truly invaluable because I'm actively working in it all the time. So that's been tremendous. And both the GDMVP open up a whole world of access to people that are doing what you're doing. And it, it's the community thing. And also those didn't come about because I pursued them. I have, was just kind of involved in the community involved in going to conferences and speaking and blogging and doing these types of things. And I'm, I'm probably doing a lot more of it now in part because of that. Those award programs definitely opened some doors for me, no question. But I really, really, really enjoy conferences in particular because it's an opportunity to really interact and learn from people that are doing really cool stuff that maybe I didn't think of. And it's so hard in our industry to keep tabs I have a hard enough time keeping tabs on the latest things in my own narrow technology stack. It would be impossible to truly keep track of the entire industry. So I like to get just kind of bits and pieces from these are the things that these specific people thought was really, really important that I know. They spent the time to to write a talk about it and and I get to benefit from that in in kind of bite-sized pieces. And I've found that that's just been a, a really tremendous way to keep tabs in the industry a little bit. Um, without completely losing my mind trying to keep up master it all because I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you never could. I mean, there's nobody. I mean, this is the, one of the things I find hilarious when you get to certain like enterprise scale conversations where they're like, oh, we need multi-cloud experts. And I'm like, good luck. <laughs> like, you know, you don't even offer enough money for a single cloud expert. Who, who's right. a multi-cloud expert and want to work for you? I am. Um, I did run across that problem a lot in the civil service in the UK, particularly <laughs> because, you know, we're not exactly offering competitive tech salaries at the same time. <laughs> and yeah, I think, you know, that community element is definitely the best part. And and I don't know how to really tell people like more in terms of, you know, if you are a developer, if you're interested in tech, like there are a lot of things that you should be doing that is more than just tech. Don't just do the day job, do your blogs. Uh, maybe not like you said, aim for these with just the purpose of doing that in mind you'll get recognized for just doing what you love in the communities that you love pick a specialization pick something that you're really interested in and you know what it'll all follow on i mean i i am an aws community builder uh, i guess the, the 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 third one of of our of our set between us <laughs> um feels like some sort of like i don't know devrel triforce here like yeah seriously <laughs> powers combined and I got recognized from that because I basically just really deep into cloud bills and FinOps uh, in one of my last roles and, and did a lot of community work in that area. So it's like my love of spreadsheets got me to where I am. <laughs> but let's be realistic. The world runs on Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> well, clearly we, we've just talked about how cloud runs on it actually as well. I, I love that how like, you know, you might not even, because I, I find when you speak to developers, 
especially when it's me knocking on your door saying, hey, I think you've spent too much money this month. It's hard to get people to care sometimes because it's like, oh, well, you know, I was asked to spin it out. You gave me the requirements and, you know, blah, blah, why should I have to, to do this? And yeah, it is interesting how, like you said, you know, oh, actually to even monitor my whole lamb, uh, not lambda, but, you know, serverless stack, I actually went to the bill instead of whatever else. And it is so powerful. And yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I just, yeah, I mean, hopefully there are a lot of developers listening to this podcast and you start to care more about the environment and sustainability and FinOps because why else are you here? <laughs> <laughs> Great. So the big question I sort of ask every, every guest is, is, you know, there's one thing you'd share with, with the audience is, is how you can live, work or code more sustainably. Uh, what would that be? My answer is don't, don't go alone. You're not alone in any of this and find a community, engage with the community. Even you don't need to lead communities. You don't have to host a conference or even speak at a conference. You don't have to do blogging. All those things are wonderful. Please do them, but engage with the people that are doing them. Join together and we can, we can do a lot together. One of the, 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 big, the big things about sustainability in general is that individually we can do very, very little. Even as, as individual users and consumers, a lot of times, we can't accomplish a lot even grouped together, but what we can do is influence change in the big organizations and the big companies, and in our case, the big cloud providers. So have conversations with your vendors, your partners, your clients, talk to them about their sustainability initiatives, figure out what they're doing, tell them what you're doing as a company, as an organization, tell them what you're doing as a team and kind of inspire more people to do things. If you, could, if you have a plan, if you have a sustainability plan, share that with your vendors and partners and clients, help them kind of get started. It's, it's the same thing. I, I do a lot of work in the accessibility space and it's the same thing we do there. Yes, do the right thing for yourself, but also inspire somebody else to do the right thing too. And that's, that's how we're going to really make a big difference, I think. Vote with your wallet and, and share, share, share what you're working on and why it's important. I love all of that. I, I I love that so much, especially like, you know, this idea that while we're all individuals, all it takes is us to speak up, to to challenge things when we see the wrong decisions being made. It's like, oh, what do you mean you want to create a 10 terabyte data lake that we're never going to look <laughs> at again? That's a bad decision. Like, you know, there's, there's all of these things we can do as an individual when we realize, one, probably the power that we have, especially, yeah, absolutely. you know, when you're in a big tech company, you know, they're paying you a lot of money, like, you know, and there's not a lot of people to go around who can really, who they want to work there. So, you know, you are in a good position. And to be honest, I'd, I'd probably bet money on it that I've got a fair few listeners from AWS, uh, especially since I see a lot of the analytics uh, and, and from LinkedIn as well, uh, but who see my posts. So yeah, don't forget, like, you know, you do work in the big cloud providers, start asking for more, start adding more things to your services. And yeah, absolutely. Great. So. The final thing is a thank you for coming on to the, the podcast. Uh, donate £500 to a charity of your choice. So who's the charity and why? So I, I selected code.org. Code.org has been pretty instrumental, even in, in my own family. The hour of code that, that they put out is what helped get my kids into coding. And so my son in 2020 became a, an international conference speaker by speaking at AntarcticaConf. So he spoke at a conference in Antarctica talking about how to, how to write code. And that all started because Hour of Code from Code.org helped him get really excited about it and get into it. And I, I really appreciate their mission to improve access to technology education, get it in front of people, even, even like 
my kids had exposure to it and it still ended up being really influential, but they have a big focus on accessibility and diversity and in reaching communities that otherwise might not have access to this technology education. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for, for choosing them and sharing that as well. It sounds amazing oh, so, to sort of get that out of just being so interested and infused <laughs> about something. I um I it's one of those things when you know when I look at my business strategy sometimes I go too far like I look at okay well am I going to worry with skills maybe I should start <laughs> looking at educating people at colleges like you know it, it, and honestly like I I am signed up at the moment to deliver some training through uh, something called AWS Restart um, nice. so one of the training providers who deliver that course uh, I'll be going in to talk about FinOps and, and sustainability because you know like you said people who are learning to code today your son who's learned how to code like you know they're learning the greatest and best of technology let's make sure we put sustainability FinOps and, and best practice from cloud right in there as well like i've it's funny when you look at university courses or 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 like you know more traditional ways of learning and they lag behind so much you get people coming out yeah who who don't even know what cicd is um, which (laughs) i've had before and i'm like okay then (laughs) welcome to the workplace (laughs) right yeah it's it is fascinating so yeah thank you so much for that and uh, thank you for coming on. And, and I hope oh, we thank speak you so soon and, and run each other at, uh, into each other at conferences. And yeah, I hope so. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Imbue, a cloud sustainability consultancy. There's one final thing from me. I would love it if you could do one thing this week to make the world a brighter place. And if you do want to share it with us, then please get in touch with us on social media or leave it alongside your review as a comment.